it is such a special time when women can get together and talk about things that just flow and with fluid thoughts come the idea of how the body flows and i think that today's talk about the moon cycle our cycles and our connections to the earth is a very important one and so i welcome all of you who are listening out there to join us in this uh, circle of talking about and celebrating cycles so let me introduce my three wonderful guests today uh, first off, I have, and excuse me if I pronounce your name wrong, please forgive me, uh, Makana Kane Kuahiwinui. <laughs> I'm going to screw that up, sorry. Uh, so she's from Oahu uh, and actually is still connected to New Zealand. And in addition to teaching Olelo Hawaii at the Kamehameha schools, she is a meahula with Kapahula Okalelehua. And she can correct me later, sorry. In her spare time, she also helps to um, as life coach and financial advisor. Makana has done extensive research on menstruation through a Hawaiian cultural lens where she argues for the dismantling of dangerous and derogatory terms and perspective. She's been called upon to consult and help families create their own menstrual ceremonies in their homes, as well as lead of women's and girls circles. So welcome, welcome. Thank you for coming, Makana. Next up, we have a Rebecca. Rebecca Maria Goldschmidt was actually a recent graduate. I never congratulate her enough for her accomplishments, but uh, she is an artist, activist, and diasporic person engaging in a place-based art and education projects. Her current work reflects on her studies of the Ilocano language and cultural practices of her Jewish and Filipino ancestry. She received her MFA here at UH at Monoa, uh, in Honolulu 2020. It sounds so long ago, but it's not. <laughs> it was right around the corner. Last but not least, I have Natasha Durden, Durden excuse me, joining us. She's the founder of the Ma'i Project, which you will probably have a chance to explain later. She's going to be starting a Master's of Science in Marriage and Family Therapy. She conducts parole group sessions for sex offenders. And last but not least, is which interesting to me, is she's a sex toy peddler. Now, don't make it, it sounds weird, but it's a really important <laughs> aspect of our sexuality. Um, and I, yeah, I love it because I talk about sex toys all the time and I try to um, bring attention to the importance of our bodies. And that's what it comes Absolutely. back to. So thank Absolutely. you, thank you. Thank you all of you for coming. And uh, Maria, I just want to thank you for bringing us together because it's, you know, it's, like minds like yours, where we can feel the vital need to have these discussions um, that just really flow naturally about our bodies. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to just kick it off, but you guys can just, uh, you know, come in whenever you want, when you want to talk about something. I wanted to ask you all to just maybe start this conversation by sharing how your, your most recent moon cycle was and how that affected you or what did you do to practice, to celebrate, to self-care about it. Um, yeah, let, let's start with that. Who wants to start it off? How do you feel about your bodies today? Oh, wait, should we celebrate Earth Day first? I know this is coming yeah. out um, after Earth Day, but recording right now, right now, this moment is celebration of Earth. Happy Earth Day. <laughs> Happy, Happy Earth, Earth Day. Day. Yeah. Happy Earth Day. Um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll begin and I'll, I'll tie the two in. So um, I've always, I guess, struggled with the concept of Earth Day, day as in being a singular moment of the year, um, because 
in in the past few years with the blow up of Instagram and Facebook, every Earth Day, I see floods of photos of people hiking and and promoting this really beautiful picture that that keeps them in the eye of those who are consuming this type of media that oh this person is super earthy because they have a photo of them hiking and um it it may it may come with a a jaded lens that i i can have unfortunately but um i last night i watched a documentary sea spiracy about the the overfishing and the misuse of sustainable fishing labels um, in in stores and um, last night was also the last night of my moon cycle so crossing it with with this intense documentary about how we can actually celebrate the earth which is by um, practicing dietary um, restrictions on foods and fish that are causing um, this global crisis. And I don't wanna to talk too much about this, this particular documentary, but the feeling that I had after watching this documentary was, wow, I'm not doing enough. And then that was also the end of my cycle last night. And then today being Earth Day, wrapping it all together, I guess I'm feeling a renewed sense of what sustainability really means. And it's great to be having this conversation right now because my, my biggest, I advocate the most for sustainable rituals, monthly rituals that families, girls, mom and girls, um, brothers can even support and dads and uncles can support in our homes. So to answer your question, something that I do monthly that helps me to, to connect to my cycle is I put my vale vale, I put my menstrual blood back into the earth. And every month that is my resubscription to, to Aina, to Papa in that all of my mana is gonna go back into the earth because I hope and I pray that Aina and and her mana will also give back to me. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, who else wants to share? Okay, I'll, I'll go. <laughs> Only because she gave me the courage to go. Um, about a year and a half ago, I when I went into the hospital for one thing and when I was being, you know, diagnosed for that. They also discovered that I had a lot of fibroids and I was given the choice of, you know, having a, a, a mammectomy where they remove the fibroids. Um, but the doctors all said they will grow back. You're going to be here every couple of years to have the same procedure, or you can have a hysterectomy. I didn't think ever in my life I would be faced with the choice of having a hysterectomy. So I thought about it for about a month. The doctor told me to think about it for about 30 days and I did. And I decided to have a hysterectomy and I never thought that that would be me, my life, you know? Um, and strange, it's really strange because we, we talk about how much of an inconvenience your cycle is, the cramps, this and that. And we talk, well, I'm gonna own it, how much I couldn't wait for menopause. Um, I kept my ovaries, so I did not go, I did not go through menopause, but it's really odd not having a period. 
And as strange as people may find it, I kind of miss it, you know? So um, I'm still dealing with that. I connected a lot of my womanhood with my monthly cycle. So um, I'm still kind of going, it's like a grieving process. Even though I knew, even though I know the surgery was the best thing for me, I'm still going through this grieving process of not having this part of me or this monthly thing that happens to me. And I honestly didn't think that I would miss it the way I do, you know, but um, it's, it's, it's ongoing. It's really ongoing. And they don't tell you that if you keep your ovaries, you still have PMS. <laughs> they don't tell you that. So I still go through like the cravings and the mood swings and everything, but um, I'm happy to be healthy, but I do miss as strange as it sounds, I do miss having a period. It's not strange. I think it's really yeah. interesting. And I, I feel, and I'll, I'll get to that too later, but I wanted to hear what Rebecca has to say about her experience. Thank you for sharing, Natasha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, Natasha, for sharing that. I, I think it's some, one of the most interesting things about this conversation is that it's just not had as often as we need to. And, you know, I, I, I come from a family that has a lot of history of reproductive cancer. And so that conversation around um, hysterectomies or even, you know, breast cancer, my mom had breast cancer, a lot of my aunties have had other kinds of ovarian cancer and different different kinds of stuff. Um, it's like, comes from all kinds of different reasons, but you know, this intergenerational trauma and just different reasons why we're manifesting cancers in our bodies in these particular regions is something that I've been really thinking about and um, for in my own health process too, in, in having like abnormal pap smears in the past and just trying to grapple with like, what does it mean for us, for this part of our, this sacred part of our body to be going through these kinds of processes, you know? Um, and so every time I get my period, I think Makana has really helped me work through that process too, just in, in what I've learned from her. But um, I've been really trying to really schedule my life kind of around it as much as I can. I mean, I'm, I'm an artist, so I have a little bit more downtime or like I, my schedule is a little bit more flexible. And so I've been really trying to I mean, my, I'm luckily I have a pretty like consistently regular cycle so that I know when is going to be like the week that's going to be the heaviest or the hardest for me or the most stressful. And so I've been really good about just taking days off if I can. And, and also being really transparent. I think this is another thing in our work lives and in our, you know, we all are working all the time and in the past that wasn't necessarily reality. So being a bleeding person in under capitalism, we're basically just, you know, trying to balance this um, body, you know, like taking care of our bodies, but also still being able to take care of ourselves with money and cash flow and all of those things as well. So I've been trying to navigate in that sense. And so this, this month, in particular, I don't know how I did it, but I timed it perfectly. And I had one day, like it was like last Thursday or Friday when I just, it was like my heavy day. And I was like, I don't have to do anything today. And I just took that day, you know, I did some emailing basic stuff at home, but I was like, I, I ride a bike. And so I was like, I'm not biking anywhere today. I'm not, you know, doing those more strenuous activities. And this particular cycle was like a pretty nice easy flow for me and in the past you know the previous ones where I'm like oh I'm back to back this that the other you know you're rushing around you're running you're trying to get stuff done um, when you are bleeding it's 
very difficult. I mean, you, it's, it's not only is it exhausting and tiring, but it's also like mentally taxing because your, your body just wants to rest at that time. So I've been really trying to honor that. Um, you know, even though it's like, you can do what you can, but also really just trying to honor that, that rest period, I think has been really, um, key for me in in navigating but at the same time I understand that a lot of people don't have the privilege of of taking time off and there's something that I also learned because I've been studying Japanese is that in Japan since 1947 I think they've had something called menstrual leave which is you know it was organized workers in um, I think it was different factory I think they were textile workers actually organized to achieve like the possibility to take a day off during your cycle. And that's something that I, I was speaking to one of my senses and she was like, yeah, I know like we have it, but a lot of people also don't use it or take advantage of it because there's also this shame around actually talking about it or even saying to your boss, like, I need to take it off because I'm on my period, you know? So it's like, even if the law is giving us that kind of protection, there's still so much social um, stigma around. It's like in high school. Or junior high when people have to have swim swim class or something and then they have to sit out on the bench. It's like calling out like, hello, it's my time. Exactly. Like for like a teenage girl, right? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to, um, I, I almost want to apologize for the way I phrased the question because after Natasha, you sharing me your experience, I felt like I was so presumptuous in assuming that we all have flow and that was no, not right no. on my behalf. No, 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 you're good. No, 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 it's okay. No, but it's okay. And I understand no, your no, concern. But, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it's true though. I think there's like, to some extent, there's a privileged uh, space of assuming things. And I think we do get trapped into these. Um, and this, this, this relates to race, gender, you know, all these different topics that we kind of assume a place that we're addressing. And so I think it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's good to address this. And I'm going to also speak that I am with you in, in the sense that um, I've had some medical issues and I had surgery um, similar and I don't even remember which side they took out of mine. <laughs> I don't remember. They took out like one, one of my, um, I think they took out both of my fallopian tubes. I don't even remember anymore. This is how bad I am with my body. But, um, but I, they kept something in so that I could still have my flow, but I'm, I'm, I'm old now. I'm, I'm in my fifties and I have had this, like, um, what do you call that? well, right before menopause, or I guess I'm in the process of it is like, I yeah, think I'm well, done. I've got a few months where I don't have anything like, oh, okay, I'm getting used to this. And all of a sudden I get like a flow. And then it's like, wait, yeah. and then you've got to start tracking from then on again. And so it pushes it back. And then you're supposed to be technically free of flow for a whole year before you're called in menopause, right? So I'm in yes. this very transitional period where I also wonder, because I did also associate my cycle with my body and and just rituals around it and when you don't have that what is the new norm and what do you base your Absolutely. cycle or routines or your your you know perspective on certain issues and connections with things when you don't have that reminder cycle absolutely well i still play in pms so when i go off on people i'm like hey i still <laughs> i'm still going through it but i i totally understand what you're what you're saying is, it's this new norm. And I remember the first month or the, no, yeah, the first month after my surgery, when I went grocery shopping, I went down the 
the feminine hygiene aisle. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'll, I never have to do this again. It's kind of like after your kid is out of diapers, <laughs> I never have to go to this aisle again. Yeah. And I, I, I actually miss it, you know, but I, I do understand what you're talking about. And I, I'm going through perimenopause now, which can take seven years before actual menopause hits. Yeah. And that's a whole different, you know, whole different thing. But it's, it's a process and I wake up sometimes and I feel, you know, kind of depressed about it, which sounds silly, but I tied a lot of who I was and how I felt into this monthly cycle, this monthly ritual and everything that I was going through. So it's, yeah. But it's interesting because we're tying in kind of like a positive ritual, whereas, you know, Rebecca, you mentioned, you know, you know, the stigmas and taboos that kind of come around, around the association with it, particularly with certain cultures, is and on one hand, it's a it's a symbol of fertility and we celebrate it, right? But on the other hand, it's like something that's shamed and we don't talk about it. So it's really interesting, this kind of tension. Makana, do you know if there are like, I mean, what about, when we, since we're still on the topic of menopausal kind of tendencies is what are the, some rituals that Hawaiian cultures embrace with that aspect of the, the body? Well, something really cool that I've learned is the the time and the space of menopause and in I don't in what I've read I haven't read anything that distinguishes perimenopause from menopause so I'm just gonna for for the purpose of right now which just gonna be bunched in together but when a woman is without her waimakalehua without her period so in menopause she is called hanau makalolo and hanau oh. makalolo means to birth via the brain. So when we are in menstruation years, we are hanau makekohe, we birth via the vagina and the womb. Whereas in in our later years, when we be when women become caretakers for for the next generation, or when when women take on that um that wise role of, of the family, the holders of knowledge and the holders of stories and, and the passers of knowledge and the passers of stories, that intergenerational um, knowledge passing, that is called Hana Makalolo. So literally birthing from the brain. And I, in talking about menstruation with our young children and with middle school age kids and also their parents, that is the natural next question is, well, what am, you know, I'm nearing my time. What, what are the rituals? What are the ceremonies? What, what's the research on that part of our life? And I haven't found much because I haven't looked for Hanel Makalolo in particular, but everything that I have found is that when women are on the other side of menstruation, um, they are revered as these knowledge holders. They are revered as the caretakers of the next generation. And I think that's really special because there is a lot of stigma about the pain, about the discomfort, about, you know, all, all the negative things that we can say about menopause and perimenopause. But there's also something very beautiful to look forward to. And I really liked what Rebecca, how you mentioned that our society and the way that capitalism has kind of controlled our routines, like our daily, our monthly, our annual routines, how that has kind of taken away and has unprioritized our body's routines and our body cycles. So one of my next step 
answers is to first honor that space and that time in yourself and and like Rebecca being a really great example, once she started honoring it in herself, she can now plan and prioritize every week or every month into the future so that we can still live these two lives. We can we can live the the nine to five, the put food on the table, but we can also be one with our with our cycles. Because as women, and this even comes from Tahitian culture, as women, we are the clock. We are the clock of of the kauhale of of the village of the family because when auntie makana goes when auntie makana goes to the menstrual house okay yeah maybe i need to go check on i need to go check on something because that's the cue yeah she physically left and that's going to cue for something else to happen i love that thinking about the body as timekeeper right like i think that's another such a beautiful way of of you know just just as a metaphor for the whole conversation and the, all of the interactions that happen, like you're saying, in a in a village, in a small community. And like even Natasha's saying, like when you're in those PMS times, when you're in that time where your hormones are just like doing the stuff and, and you know, I think men are, I don't know how many men are doing this, but I'm hoping that some men are listening and maybe they're also having some, you know, understanding of the different cycles that their wahine are going through or you know their other female friends or any female bodied people I think um that's something that even in relationships I've struggled with where you're like people are like why are you so pissed right now and I'm like I don't know but I do know actually now that there's just like this is just a this is just a moment and it's all good and I'm I'm not necessarily in control of what my body's doing but I do have to honor that this is how I am right now and that you know maybe you come into there are times when you're coming into more conflict or you're coming into you know um you're a little bit quicker to respond in a certain kind of way or you know just because of how your body is in that time but I think it's like everyone should be aware of those kinds of cycles and the length of them because we're going on a on a 30-day situation here it's not like I think I was just reading about men's testosterone cycles being like almost like a 24-hour period of like they're peaking and going you know they're up and down with their hormonal phases like in a 24-hour cycle and and again like our day, our nine to five days are based around their priorities and their own bodily functions. And so the woman within a patriarchal society, like we're living in right now is of course going to be off from that. And so there is going to be conflict. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that Makana. Yeah, no, that's really, I, I, Oh no, go ahead. So, So something that I've also been toying with is, um, fixed versus fluid. So it, our society and, you know, we may even be the causes for fixed versus fluid, but a lot of, a lot of our routines, daily, weekly, monthly, annually is very fixed. It's like the nine to five. It's the, the eat, eat again, sleep, eat, eat again, sleep. So it's, it's this very fixed kind of, um, kind of routine and I didn't even connect it to testosterone levels but I I, that was just something that I I had taken for truth but women we are so fluid 
we're, we're literally we're we're made out of mostly water but also we have more fat because we need to take care of kids and but also our waimakalehua is literally fluid so it even our um the ways that our mental capacities and our spiritual capacities are also extremely fluid and that's why in Hawaiian culture, we had a halepea, we had menstrual homes. Um, so a menstrual, a halepea is a place, is most times a structure where women would go to. And in this halepea, they would just chill and just hang out. Just chill, kind of like hang out. Like in, in Indian culture or certain places? Yes, but from, and correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding of a red tent is um, negative. Right. Like it so was like frowned upon. Right, right. Whereas women wanted to go. Women, uh, the from the stories that I read, they loved these halepea and they stayed there for longer than they had to. So a lot of, and maybe they just did, men, like maybe back then they did menstruate for 10 entire days, but I've never regularly menstruated for 10 days. But if they're there for 10 days, they've got to be milking it for like that last two or three days. And like, this is, this is me in the 21st century, you know, presuming this, but they, they loved it there because it was a place of rest where they could absolutely be as fluid as they wanted to within a fixed society. Um, I was going to get to something about that. Oh, it's great. Our ancestors, especially Kupuna Hawaii, knew what was going on with the women. And that physical space is a physical space of honor in that they were, they were like gifted this thing. Women didn't, they were gifted this space and allowed to be there. And something that I've done and going back to privilege um, I am extremely privileged to have to live in a home with two bathrooms. So when it's my time to menstruate, that the the extra bathroom is mine and mine only. Oh, no you. one can enter. And I have this really cute wow. post-it note. <laughs> I have this post-it note. It's great. It's Sharpie, the most fanciest Sharpie pen ever. And I just write Halepea, menstrual house. And it's my place. It's my sanctuary for my, you know, sometimes I milk it too. Like, so like you have your time out for yourself and you just disappear for like hours in your own bathroom. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's also like where, cause the way that I like to take care of my menstrual blood is kind of, um, it's involved. It's not as easy as it's like taking out a tampon, wrapping it up and throwing away. Like I, my, my rituals are very involved. So I need the space that I know no one's going to walk into because that's my, like, that's my mana. That's my energy that I need to take care of in my way. And if someone disrupts it, then I, I don't want that to happen. So, you know, going back to privilege, like, yes, I am privileged to have a second bathroom that I can claim as mine and mine only for a whole 10 days. Um, but thinking about it and what capacities can our listeners or even us, can we just take a little bit more of, of the space for our own in these times? 
Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's take a quick break on this note and have people think about that. You know, if you're listening and you wonder about whether you are kind of honoring your body to the extent that you deserve. And like Rebecca was mentioning is, you know, how do you share this with the, the men in your lives? And that's equally important. I think there's a very lack of conversation going on there. How do um, males who are listening out there, how can we pay attention and, and find respect for the space and to understand each other's bodies and the way that different ways our, our bodies work in cycles. So let's do that and we'll come back after a short break. And you are listening to Makana, Natasha and Rebecca. We're all just sitting around chatting about our moon cycle. Welcome back. We are talking about our beautiful bodies and the fluids that come in and out of us. And, you know, just, I know sometimes it gets pretty disgusting when we talk about this. And sometimes men think, oh God, it's gross. That's why we don't want to talk about it. Or we don't want to, it's like too much information. But why? Why is it too much information for men to understand what we do? What does it mean to bleed? What does it mean to, to bleed through like maybe you know, a, a pad of tampon where you actually bleed onto a chair that you're sitting on or walking shamefully with, with your skirt soaked. And what does that feel like? And why is that something that's just a woman's issue? Let's, let's talk. Yeah, actually, I, I have a lot to say about that. Um, uh, really quickly. So I, when I was in, actually, every time I say really quick, it, that's a lie. I need to be better at that. But when I was 19, Oh no, whatever. I was young and I was TAing for a class and I took that class to Kanewailo'i at UH Manoa. And I made an announcement that if, and these are my exact words, if you are sacred right now, you are too sacred for the lo'i. So step to the side. And this young boy right out of high school, he said, or oh, what the lo'i shark going come bite them? So saying like, is the lo- is, is the shark in the lo'i? By the way, there's no sharks in the lo'i unless you count like those little crabs gonna come and eat the women because they're bleeding. And I was in shock. I was in absolute shock, and I was surrounded by haloa by all the kalo, and we're supposed to be beautiful. We're supposed to have nice mana around the kalo, and I was about to wring his neck. And, but then I, I took a step back and I was like, okay, what happened in his life? What people were in his life to cause him to think that way, one. And then the other sense is, how do I turn this into a teaching and most loving moment without causing a scene? Um, and I was young myself and, and very, I'm a Taurus, I'm very fire and I could have easily just, you know, destroyed him in front of my entire class. Um, so I said to him after taking some deep breaths and I said, that is a very old and dangerous perspective to have. When we're done with the lo'i, I will explain that to you. And that's all I said as my heart was going like I'm like trying to restrain myself but that's a really good question that you bring up is how do we in the in the moment of fire how do we in under pressure bring up these conversations with all ages of men mm-hmm. and I and I know and I I don't know but I assume that the older they are the more years of trauma and the more years of of practice of just 
exposure to that type of ignorance, the older they are, the harder it is to talk to them. So something that I like to do in my women's circle is that I, I have them put down their three most important people. Yeah. So there's, there's grandpa or someone in, in the grandpa generation, and then there's someone in the uncle generation and someone in the son generation. If someone were to bring it up to you, just write two or three sentence for each of those people at how you would address that. Yeah. It's like, so for, if my grandpa which my, I, my grandma has never brought it up yet, even though he did come to my master's defense. Oh, by the way, he only had daughters and those two daughters only had daughters. So he only has granddaughters except for one grandson who is only three years old right now. So he, my grandfather has been dominated by women. But if I, if he approached me and said something offensive, I would say to him, you love your wife, huh? And you love your daughters, huh? This is all something we need to go through. So please make it easy on us. That's it. And it could be as easy and as simple as that. But everybody has has their their uncle, their son, their grandpa that they need to speak to because yeah. ultimately it's gonna come, it's yeah. gonna come from us to them and then from them to the boys. Absolutely. And you make it a natural conversation. It's not something like, okay, let's sit down, we need to talk about this. Natasha, you have a son, right? I think you say like I do. I do. Um, I am. I am from a family of six. I'm the eldest of six, five girls and one boy. And my father and my brother, they're very. They're okay around it. You know, if they had to go to the store, we needed pads. They had no problem getting pads. Um, nothing was really said about it. It was just what it was. My husband is the ninth of ten, five girls, five boys. Yeah. So he is completely okay with it. And I remember when we were dating and um, if I wasn't, you know, feeling well or had cramps, he was like, you know what? I get it. I understand. So I was lucky on those fronts. So then of course I get pregnant, have a boy. I'm like, damn. So um, my husband was always deployed. And you know, when they're, when kids are little, they want to follow you everywhere and you go to the bathroom, their hands underneath the door, mom, mom, mom. So my son would come to the, that it, you know, really you can't get away from him. So I would have the bathroom door open and I, you know, have my cycle and my son would see me in the process of changing. And I remember one, I think was the very first time he ran out of the bathroom and came back with the first aid kit. And I'm like, what's going Mom, you're, you're, you're bleeding. And he was too young. Was so to cute. Yeah. yeah, he brought me the first aid kit and I was like, I'm okay. He thought I was going to bleed to death. Wow. So um, I'm like, mommy's okay. I'm good. This happens, you know, every month. And I really couldn't go into detail. Wait, but I said, he was, Royal was probably four. Oh. Maybe four. We were living in Pearl Harbor at the time. He was four. He's 21 now. So, you know, it, it and he was my only one. I, I did it once, one and done. So as he got older, um, a nurse friend of mine said, you have to explain everything. We think, we think that they won't understand. We think they're too young, but that's us. You have to explain everything. And it's not just a one-time deal. It's maintenance over and over and over. So um, I explained as much as I could without getting too detailed. He just wanted to know, mom's bleeding. Is she hurt? And will she die? So that was it. And as he got older, 
um, with me selling sex toys, we had to go into a deeper conversation. So everything happened for him kind of young, but it's still, it's ongoing for him. It's ongoing because I'm like, if you're ever in a relationship, you have to know what's going on. You have to know this is what happened. So he asked me pretty young, you know, different things about, you know, reproduction and sex and condom conversation. That was wild. But um, he, he knew really, really young what was going on and he, it didn't freak him out. So when his guy friends made a big deal of it, he was the one to school them on it. He was the one to um, pretty much, he went to Pacific Buddhist Academy. So if there was a girl in class, then she got her cycle mid-class and everything. And the guys were quick to say something, he would shut them down. So I got him kind of early, yeah. you know, and, but it, but you it's not like, normalized it, right? I normal, yeah, I normalized it. So him, for him, it was not a big thing. It's not a big thing, yeah. you know, and I, I got kind of lucky with that, yeah. but it's the outside. It's the, the other men in my life. And at this age, you still having to check them on things, still having to explain things, you know, it's, it, it's frustrating. Well, it's really I think you need to keep explaining things to guys anyway, no matter what. <laughs> oh, I've had to sacrifice some friendships and let people go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have, I will drop you real quick, but you know, you, you, it's, it's a, um, it's an ongoing thing and it, it sucks that there aren't other men to help you with that. It's mm -hmm. always on the backs of women. And yeah. always, always women of color, always. So it's something that is, um, yeah. Wow, now you're bringing it's, in the, 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 the kind of the race issue and cultural maybe is a good time for us to kind of segue into that. But before we do that, I just also wanted to add my two cents. I need to do more work. I need, you know, listening to all of you and how you kind of deal with this. You know, I have, I have three kids, my, my younger two are, um, 15 and 17 and my daughter has really bad cramps and like like you know where she's bedridden for two days that kind of cramping and um so we're trying to open up these conversations over dinner of why she's not feeling well enough to come to the table and you know how far do we need to take it for the guys to really understand and to feel that empathy and understanding of how this can affect um, you know, a woman's body, you know, I just don't know. I mean, can, before we move on, can, can you all give some suggestions of like how we can encourage these conversations, particularly with the younger generation who, you know, in that awkward stage of, of whatever attitudes, you know, how do we, you know, Natasha, you had a brilliant, you know, sharing. So can we just bring a little advice to people well, who need it? I was, I was told by, like I said, a really, really good friend who's and who's a nurse. And I had to realize that a lot of a lot of what he didn't, well, I was there to explain things to him, but the reason why he didn't know, I guess it was my fear or my apprehension. No, it was my apprehension. And actually me not wanting to delve really deeply in it, thinking he wouldn't understand. And that, you know, boys don't understand, men don't understand. They know, they freaking know. If you explain it to them, they, they will grasp something. It's, they don't want to, some just don't want to, they don't care. You know, it doesn't affect them personally. They don't care. It's, it's them. It's the women over there. This is not my problem. Um, but I was, I was always really, my brother having five sisters, he had no choice, mm -hmm. you know? So what, what other, what is like his other friends didn't know 
he kind of had to school them. But I was very, I think I was very fortunate having a brother, a father, and a husband that had so much, so many women in their lives that they couldn't really get away from it. And they, it was explained to them. I don't think now, now going back, I don't think any age is way too young to explain. You know, they can explain on, you, they can understand on, on a basic level. You don't have to go really deep, 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 but they, they get it. Right. Men get it. Older boys get it. They, they. Just ignoring kind of it's just push it away. yeah, we put yeah, up kind of wall. Yeah. Rebecca, yeah. Makana, do you guys have anything to share on that? You know, it's funny. I, I just kind of reflecting on like thinking I have a, a younger brother and um, and my dad. So it was just us. And I remember my parents were split up, but I would go stay with my dad sometimes. And I remember I was like 15, getting my period, horrible cramps. Like I remember just being in the shower, just like keeled over laying in the bottom of the shower like oh god like make it stop you know this is horrible and I remember like my dad knocking on the door of the shower like are you okay like what's going on in there and I'm like I'm fine you know just like you're literally dying basically but you're like I'm okay like you're trying to like stifle slash hide slash there's shame I mean there's so much going on in in those kinds of moments and I don't think like my family was very not talking about it like we were not talking about what it was what'd you say you think that's an Asian thing well that's my Jewish side so that's like my German Jewish dad and my brother they were just like it was just awkward you know and I'm, I'm the only girl you know I mean obviously my mom's like they're split up so my mom's not around but I don't remember really like that we never had that conversation. I don't think I was really like conscious enough to know how to say like, Hey dad, like I got my period and it's really painful. And I would appreciate if you could, you know, like he cared and he wanted to know what was going on, but I was also just like, you don't want to talk about it with them either. So, I mean, if there's any like young girls in the, you know, on the, in the listening deck right now, like hearing us on the radio, that's a whole other question too, is like, how do we, um, make it normal for young women to talk about their own situations and their own bodies. I work with a lot of young women and it's, it's hard to even get people to have conversations like this openly because there is so much layers and layers and layers of shame. Um, and like you mentioned, Crystal, like bleeding through your jeans at the gym or whatever. I mean, there's like a million horrific scenarios that we all kind of have on our minds every time that happens. And even just, I remember like smuggling the tampon, like putting my tampon in my long sleeve shirt to walk to the bathroom, you know, like that's stupid. How many times do we have to obscure and hide and stifle and repress these situations that are happening with our bodies. It's not like you're just, Oh, I have to cover my sneeze or whatever. It's, it's more complicated than that. So I guess in, it, it's one on one hand, it's like empowering young women to be open, to be, you know, having these spaces where we can talk about it, but, and of course, you know, men and people in general, I mean, there's a whole other conversation that we haven't really gone into just about like queerness and bleeding and, who bleeds and who doesn't bleed and you know gender in general like we're still kind of operating in this binary too and so there that's a whole other question that I think needs to be also normalized is you know like who needs a pad who needs a a pad sometimes and and that that's okay um so Yeah. yeah I think that's kind of my thoughts on around that 
that's great. I like that you, um, I like Rebecca that you talked about this layers and layers and, and as I see it, it's the, the conversation around Waimakalehu about menstruating is so complicated because there are layers of stigma. There are layers of um, cultural stigmas and, and in Hawaii, we're a melting pot. So we've got lots of cultural perspectives that sometimes overlap or intensify each other. But then there's also the generational um, stigma and shame. And I, I am going to say that women we are also one of those layers because some of these conversations, as Natasha kind of talked about, some of these repressions of, of talking about things are sustained by women. So I, I remember one of my first ever women's circle that I ever did straight, my, I, haven't e I hadn't even published my thesis at this point, but I was invited to do a women's circle where there was moms, moms and aunties, and then daughters. And then at one point there was also a granddaughter in the room. And what I, I would talk with them together and then I would have them in two separate circles. So when I, when I would talk to them together, I would, I would give my presentation and I'll talk to them and then I'll put them on the side. Okay, ladies talk about this, girls talk about this. And as soon, literally, as soon as I split the group up, I would go to the girls and they're like, oh yeah, we're sacred during this time. Oh yeah, I get it. Oh, ceremony? Yeah, this is totally a ceremony because this, this, and this, and this. So the girls, they got it. And they're anywhere from like seven, 10. There was also a teenager in there kind of like guiding the conversation. And then the three steps away, I went to the, the lady circle and it's just like this really depressing conversation. Like, oh, the first time it was this and I was just so painful and oh my gosh, last week this da, 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 because they they have had to experience the the stigma yeah the the repression for years for so many years already so it's it's kind yes there are societal norms that go against our our fluids and, and our cycles but that at the same time women your what are you doing every month what words are you using every month that continue and sustain that negative mana around it mm -hmm. because i can guarantee that every single one of us including me the person who wrote my whole master's thesis from uh Panama, i am also victim to that dangerous language that very um dangerous ways of understanding and going back to men so i am very blessed that my fiance is i think he's the best man in the whole entire world Aww. and he is amazing and he um it only took one time it only took him one time to un one conversation to understand what menstruation is he has two sisters and it only took one additional conversation with him for for him to understand how I see my menstruation as something sacred from a very Hawaiian perspective so you know some of us are, are blessed with men who who have to be told one time and they get it but then others of us are not blessed with those type of men who who may need a little more conjoling, who may need a little bit more evidence, who may need a little bit more time to unpack the layer upon layer upon layer of, of 
interwoven, you know, all those things. But this goes um, into the cultural aspects, right, Makana? I mean, like, there are certain cultures where, you know, I don't know if it's just the men, or it's the whole burden of the culture, where women, when they, that time of the period, you know, they're not allowed to enter mosques, you know, temples. So can we open up that dialogue to, like, cultural context to how people are shaped with their attitudes towards this too. Well, I'm just going to put it out there and he's, he's right over there. So I'm just going to say, um, my other half is not Hawaiian. He's, he's not Hawaiian, but it was boom one time. And he understood the whole, my Hawaiian perspective on menstruation. So, so I sometimes agree to the, the cultural barriers, but then I also have examples in my life that I, that I find true to, to go beyond those cultural um, barriers. Also on the top of that layer, he is fourth and fifth generation Japanese only in this previous generation had they married non-Japanese so he comes from very strong rooted plantation Japanese family that continue some sort of negative connotations of menstruation but there are those gems out there and it it may just be the way that we present ourselves in 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 those times, it may, there may also be some factors in everybody's lives that cause people to act or behave or speak differently. But that that's, that's kind of my take on cultural perspective. And maybe um, Rebecca and Natasha can chime in on that. I, I started my period rather late, as far as um, my friends, but I think I was about 14, maybe, maybe 13 or 14, maybe, yeah, close to 15, actually. And I was listening to you because actually the person that perpetuated not just the shame, but the inconvenience of a cycle is, was my maternal grandmother. Mm. And I had to come home from school a lot early because I had these crazy cramps and I, my flow was heavy. My, my cycle was inconsistent. I had these horrible clots. It was just, it was a mess. So I would come home from school a lot and um, my grandmother, she, she was at our house pretty much every day. And um, there were a lot of superstitions that were around my cycle that I had to learn from, you have to listen to me. They're, they're superstitions and you're not supposed to walk around barefoot. You're not supposed to submerge your entire body in water. You're not supposed to wash your hair. It was all these, and I'm like, oh my God, is, is this what it's like being a woman? I don't wanna do this, <laughs> you know? But it was so much <laughs> around it. And um, it was, she, I was always, it's funny because I love sex toys, but I was always scared to wear tampons. It's crazy. But way, way, way back before the wonderful always pad with the dry weave that pulls the moisture from the body, we had the huge pillow sized pad. <laughs> the kind they give you in the hospital when you give birth, they're like, and they go all the way, yeah, they go all the way back. You can't walk. You can't get like a pillow behind Wait, your leg. I'm gonna go way back where they, they had a belt. You had to wear this. It was a mess. So we had these huge, huge pads, and I would have these. My grandmother would make me this tea that had booze in it. Whatever, that was wonderful. And she had these huge pads, and she was. My mother was very, very, very involved. But she thought my grandmother, who actually terrified me with it, um, could give me more perspective. And it was crazy because she would smuggle me these, um, 
what, what did she used to give me for cramps? She would give me half of a codeine. Oh my, my god! I'm she was drug dealing. She yeah. was she gave me. She was, <laughs> I'd have a heating pad. I'd have a heating pad. Yeah, those yeah. huge pads, the alcohol tea, and a codeine, oh. and I was feeling fantastic. But it was these these superstitions behind it that terrified me. Oh. And um, I remember my periods were so inconsistent and so heavy yeah. that my mother was like, well, you got, we have to go see a doctor. Well, you know, they'll probably suggest birth control to, to regulate your period. And I'm like, okay, whatever you guys have to do. So I remember going to my first OBGYN appointment. Yeah. I had nothing. I was, I was 14. I was scared. And the doctor has this speculum. My mother's right there and I'm nervous. So, you know, when you're nervous, you, you clench. Yeah. And the doctor couldn't get the speculum inside me and he, relax, Natasha, relax. My mother's relaxed. And I'm like, I, I, I can't. They're like, yeah. I can't. I was, I was 14, terrified. Totally traumatizing. And, and traumatizing. And he traumatized me even further because he told my mother, I can't do an exam on her. Bring her back when she's no longer a virgin. Oh, wow. That's what he said. Yes, <gasps> yes, yes bring her back when she's no longer a virgin. And um, we left and um, yeah, that, that was pretty much yeah. it. That was pretty much it. So she was irritated by it, but she, she didn't, she wasn't angered enough about, about it to do anything because he was the family gynecologist. She didn't want to make any waves. You know, she, she, he, was, he was there when all of her kids were born. She didn't want to lose him as a doctor. But he, I was like, what the hell was that about? But you can't yeah. say anything, you know? So right. that's kind of how my introduction was. And I kind of dealt with it. And, you know, as time goes by, your, your, your flow kind of regulates and everything. I still had horrible cramps, but things but, are what they those are. Those traumatizing so moments, like Rebecca says, absolutely. is something that you remember. And that's absolutely. interesting because, you know, that kind of, those experiences kind of reinforce that stigma against like my mom thinks, Oh, you don't go and see an OBGYN until you have sex, which exactly. is not true. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Rebecca, you're going to say something. No, I'm good. I'm good. You're good. No. Okay. Rebecca. I wanted to jump in and just kind of add, I know, and additionally to the medical industry and, you know, like all of these other things we're up against, like, it's just like a compounding, right? We can see like just in an hour conversation, like all of the different stories and trauma that we all have from all these different situations. But one thing that I just wanted to mention too is religion and how, you know, I think you mentioned um, Crystal, like in Islam, um, that women may not be able to enter a mosque um, at that period of time or, and, and, you know, I grew up Jewish and something that I've been kind of reacquainting myself with is the idea of a mikvah, which is like, a, basically it's like a ritual bath that a woman will do before she gets married or after she has her period to sort of, um, quote unquote, purify oneself before you're allowed to have sex again with your husband. And so I think so much of this stigma really does emerge from these, you know, patriarchal religions that are like very um, male centric and this kind of like this idea of the purity, impurity kind of thing. And I think, you know, even for Hawaiian culture, that's something that Makana has done such a great job in her research and like 
um, just unpacking and, and understanding what it means to actually be sacred on, at that time. And that sacredness should not be associated with dirtiness, but that's kind of the, the situation that's been flipped on us. It's like, we are actually so sacred at this time that people don't want to be near us because we have like too much mana. I mean, I'm, I don't want to paraphrase, but at the same time, you know, in, in Judaism, it's like you're impure while you're bleeding. I think Crystal, you mentioned the red, the red tent and like that whole concept of like, you know, going off and being banished into this tent in the, in the desert. So, because you're not allowed to be with, you know, everybody else, but it's kind of like, I think we're really at this moment in time, really re-understanding our own bodies and how that is a different and actually completely different alignment and how it's our, uh, you know, it's kind of up to us to take into consideration what has been taught to us, but then how we can reclaim it for ourselves. And so the mikvah is a, um, I've been working on a project called the Queer Mikvah Project. And it's um, something that a teacher of mine, Rebecca Arab, another Rebecca has, you know, been really helpful in teaching me, but it's just kind of reclaiming that process of the mikvah, that ritual bath, that cleansing um, and reconnecting with water and the power of water as a way to, um, you know, not necessarily like cleanse yourself because you're dirty, but just move yourself through this body of water and come out on the other side in a renewed version of yourself. And so I think Natasha, it's so interesting that you mentioned like the not bathing thing or not washing your hair. And I think there are a lot of these traditions in many cultures where water, you, you and water while you're on your period are not um, friends <laughs> somehow. Like you're not, I'm not sure how that is in Hawaiian um culture but you know like I think in a lot of places and I have another friend who just told me the same thing just the other day she's she's Mexican and she said yeah my grand auntie just told me like don't take a bath don't take a shower when you're when you're bleeding and I'm not sure where that comes from and I'm sure that could be a whole other master's thesis that someone can write like these kind of ideas around bleeding but the idea of that I really enjoyed kind of reclaiming for myself too is thinking about that bath process and how we can reclaim that for ourselves and even if that's a dip in the ocean after you had your cycle because you haven't been swimming because you don't want to be swimming you know when you're bleeding all those kinds of things that we can start kind of taking back some of these historical you know, ancestral practices that there's a reason that the superstitions exist, right? They come from something, but then they also get twisted and kind of tweaked so that they become oppressive. And so I think we're, all of us are in this moment where we're kind of like undoing the braid or like undoing the thing to redo it in a different way so that we can use it for our benefit as opposed to feeling, you know, contained by it. Absolutely. Thank you. I mean, that's so great, Rebecca. You put it so nicely. And I think because of our time, we need to wrap up. But I, my God, we can go so long with this. Maybe hopefully we can continue this on another time. But we do want to. I know um, I'm kind of want, we, you know, we were talking about potentially um, organizing some kind of a, a nice event where we do bring in a woman's circle where people can physically come together, hopefully in time where if it's even if it's virtual it's something where we can work through things and Rebecca when you talk about this cleansing idea I feel like even this conversation right here is a form of kind of cleansing 
of us kind of working through certain memories and, and histories and the cultural burdens we carry with some things that, that just kind of play into our lives, intergenerational um, myths and stories and practices and traditions, which we both celebrate and question of where it comes from. So many things to unpack. And I really um, am grateful for this conversation we've had today. And I just want to thank you all for that. Um, and, and just the stigmas, we can go on forever. I just wanted to remind, you know, for me, I used to be in the film industry in Hong Kong and um, women who, women were not allowed to sit on the camera boxes because they thought if the chance you were menstruating at the time, you would give bad luck to the film. I mean, that's how far it goes with a lot of, um, you know, these, 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 these myths and, and these, these things that people want to put into their belief system. Uh, as an excuse for something I don't know but you know again we can go on forever and ever about this but I appreciate everything all of you have brought to the table I appreciate the people who are listening because hopefully that will open up and 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 be another form of cleansing in this transition between us talking in this space into the the the, the listening spaces of people out there so um thank you so much is anybody can we all maybe just give a little um I don't know cleansing feeling to wrap this all up how do you how do we want to celebrate the end of our conversation i i just wanted to add on to rebecca and i agree that this next water cleansing thing can be another hour-long conversation but i i also just want to hold hold space for all of the women who have irregular flows or who who don't flow or who um, and I always choke up at this moment um, for for all of the flowers because it, it's so it's so hard to listen to these conversations and and say oh well that doesn't apply to me and that doesn't apply to me but just holding space for for all of the flowers because we're all in this together because water water as as the fluid is so important water is the transitionary bath from one state to another. And if we, we, if we are the, the fluid that we are supposed to be, then all things are pono. All things are right and are balanced. So just, just wanna keep a, a gentle reminder for myself, but for all of us that everyone's different. And this, some, most of these conversations may apply, may not, but just wanna mahalo. Mahalo, everyone. And then also mahalo, Crystal, for having us on KTUH. And I hope to do this again. Absolutely. You're kidding. Natasha, before I forget too, can you also remind us, because your project, you also encourage people to donate sanitary napkins, um, hygiene projects of products for for people who don't have access and this is goes back to Rebecca's you know constant you know idea of of this whole capitalistic society and and you know we we take for granted our privileged space of being able to have access to to sanitary hygienic products so um, Natasha can you just give a shout out to how people can support yes um you know what I have a um for the Ma'i project I do have um collection boxes all over the island However, I can be contacted directly and I will pick everything up. The main one is at Sugarlina Bake Shop in um, Pearl City. It's the little mini mall where Powerhouse Gym is. Pearl City Shopping Center. And it's Sugarlina Bake Shop. There's a bin in there, just drop off everything. I take everything from pads, tampons, penny liners. And I've also started collecting unused with tags still on bras and panties. 
So um, you can also give me a call, 808-224-9012. I'll pick everything up. Thank yeah. you. That's You're very welcome. Cool. I've enjoyed this conversation. I really, really have. Thank you for hosting this. And I didn't know it was the conversation that I needed. You see, so. me too. Like there's so much to unpack. Yeah. Rebecca, yeah. any final thoughts? Yeah, I'm just so grateful to all of you. I know you all in such different capacities and some not very much at all. And I just think I knew that we would all have so much to talk about. So I'm just so grateful. And um, yeah, I think my just final thoughts are just around, you know, taking care of ourselves and just really, really, truly honoring yourself. And, you know, I feel like all of us do work in the community. All of us are running around and busting our you know what's trying to make change and help and um, teach and support and we have families and we have all kinds of responsibilities that we take care of but I think at the end of the day we really have to honor ourselves in this particular way in this in in truly honoring you know I don't even think we talked a little bit about birth and birthing but we didn't really talk about like that this is also a process of reproduction and the mm -hmm. most sacred I mean this is why it's so contained and oppressed in general right like that this conversation is so taboo still is because it's um it's a, con a way that our our bodies are controlled and our reproduction is controlled well, maybe and so that's I just topic yeah I mean, reproduction. This I mean yeah this is an ongoing conversation it's this an ongoing and whether or not you want to have children or you're going to or you don't or whatever I think you're honoring a sacred place in your body that has that potential and it's like if it's again we're going back to earth day I just want to shout out that it's earth day and that this is our sacred responsibility to ourselves and to and to Aina and to the earth itself is to really care for ourselves in our bodies so yeah thanks so much crystal thank and natasha. you thank you that's makana natasha and rebecca thank you so much